Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. I'm back with another episode today with Dr. Michelle Gums. Dr. Gums is an associate professor at the University of Florida, and her research focuses on the kidney circadian clock and its relationship to cardiovascular health. In this episode, Dr. Gum details how the circadian clock provides a mechanism for predictive homeostasis that directly impacts cardiovascular and kidney function. She also explains why normal sleep patterns are critical to long-term health outcomes. If you listen to these two episodes of Dr. Gum's and you're not motivated to get your sleep on track and to anchor your circadian clock, I, I don't know what I can do for you. In all seriousness, though, Dr. Gums is a world-class expert on this subject, and we are very fortunate to have her back. So let's get right into it. So now, let's lean in and learn from the best. Michelle, how does our circadian clock impact our kidney function, our cardiovascular health? I know you're doing some amazing research at the University of Florida. I'd love to know kind of what you're paying attention to, what you're looking at now, and what we should be focused on. Absolutely. Uh, this is another one of my favorite topics, you know, one of those uh, when you're on the airplane and the person next to you asks you what you do. You know, I love to tell people that I, I work on circadian rhythms in the kidney because there's always this surprise of the <laughs> kidney has circadian rhythms. You know, I mean, people are very familiar with sleep wake cycles. And, you know, when they think about circadian rhythms, maybe they just think about the brain. But in fact, like all of our tissues in our body have a molecular circadian clock. And so within the kidney, we focus on a couple of the core clock genes and we will manipulate the expression of those genes and and look to see what happens to renal function, what happens to blood pressure and cardiovascular function. And so in that way, we try to learn about the, the mechanistic underpinnings of, of how the circadian clock contributes to kidney and cardiovascular function. Um, but going back, you know, this this is something that's been known for for decades. So there were studies done like probably in the 1950s, before before the institutional review boards were in place. I, I'll note that. But there, there were these scientists who went and shut themselves up in a cave underground for months at a time, actually. Sounds like a blast. Yeah. And they, um, you know, they measured their urine output and they, you know, took took some notes about their sleeping habits. And so these are some of the first sort of free running experiments where, you know, you've taken away light cues. Right. So you're in this cave. You have no idea what time it is, if the sun is up or what's going on outside. I mean, even under those conditions, kidney excretory function, urine production had a very strong rhythm to it. And, you know, later on, 1970s, 1980s, there were some more in laboratory, better controlled studies performed um, that, that showed the same, the same findings, that there was this intrinsic rhythm to renal function that mm. didn't depend on whether a person was laying down or standing up or exposed to light or having regular meals. You know, they kind of controlled for all of these different variables. But at that time... We didn't know about the molecular clock. And so there was a researcher, at, I believe at Harvard, uh, Martin Moore Ede in the, in the early 1980s, who 
did some of this work in humans and in squirrel monkeys and had this concept. He proposed this concept for the circadian clock that it provides um, a mechanism for predictive homeostasis. So homeostasis being this idea that that the body needs to be in balance. And when we think about kidney function and blood pressure, you know, the kidney is is critical for homeostasis. So it makes sure that we have just the right amount of water in our bodies, just the right amount of potassium and sodium, and it helps keep our blood pressure, you know, not too high, not too low. So it's all about all about that balance. Balance. And so Martin Moride proposed this concept that um, circadian rhythms provide this predictive um, homeostatic mechanism. And I think that concept holds true, even with what we know about, about clock genes, that that is really the power of, of the circadian system, that it allows us to, you know, for, for the body to be, let's say, you know, you're going to wake up and eat breakfast, your body anticipates that and the circadian clock within your gut might upregulate the enzymes and the transporters you you need to process that breakfast so that everything's sort of poised and ready to go when the activity actually happens. And so for the for the kidney, as well as for the, the heart, you know, the cardiovascular system, there there is this this rest period, you know, you need this kind of decrease in activity. And ideally, in someone with, you know, healthy, normal circadian rhythms, that that rest or that decrease in kidney function, um, or decrease in glomerular filtration rate, a decrease in uh, urine production, decrease in our blood pressure and our heart rate that happens at night while we rest, and then increases during the day when when we're awake. And we know, again, from clinical and, and epidemiological studies, if if you lose that normal rhythm in cardiovascular function and your blood pressure and kidney function, that it's associated with adverse cardiovascular outcomes. So there have been uh, studies done uh, all over the world looking at 24-hour patterns of blood pressure and then, you know, having that data and then following following people for, you know, let's say 10 years or something. And, and so it's studies like that that have demonstrated that having having this normal circadian rhythm to, to renal function and cardiovascular function is associated with better health outcomes. Hmm. You know, Bruce McEwen, uh, he mm. was a neuroendocrinologist, uh, really popularized. Well, he's I think he's the one that came up with the term allostatic load. Okay. So you have allostasis, which is essentially your body trying to be maintain consistency and change or trying to achieve homeostasis. But for any stress on the body, it presents an allostatic load, which comes with a cost of adaptation. He really, he took us from Hans Selye's work on general adaptation syndrome to more of a modern view of adaptation and stress and how acute stress is good. Chronic stress is bad. Really phenomenal researcher. In one of his best papers, the first thing he said when it comes to regulating stress was anchoring the circadian clock. Yeah. And when you talk about predictive homeostasis, I've never heard that term before, but it makes so much sense. It's the same thing, essentially. Like if you want to set your body up (laughs) to achieve a state of homeostasis or allostasis, if you're not anchored, you're going to have serious problems. Absolutely. And that that does make so much sense and and kind of explains why, you know, how the circadian clock would provide an advantage Mm. because you'd be better able to adjust. You know, you'd be better able to adapt with with your circadian rhythm kind of preparing you. 
have a question for you. So from a general standpoint, we view light interacts with our suprachiasmatic nucleus. The SCN, you know, raises temperature in the body, increases cortisol. These clock genes that are in the kidney, how are they regulated by the circadian pacemaker? Like what's the relationship there? Are they running independently or is there these signals in temperature and cortisol and other biological signals regulating those clock genes? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, and it really gets at the heart of what my lab is trying to to figure out. So so what we do know is that in an entrained individual, and I'll, I'll use mice as an, as an example, um, that the, the clock genes are present, you know, in just about every cell type. And if you collect tissues from mice that are entrained every, let's say, two hours over you know, a 24 or 48 hour period, the oscillation of the clock genes is the same, whether you're looking at that gene expression in the kidney or the liver or the SCN, like the patterns are very, very similar. Where we start to see differences is if you do a kind of maneuver, the coupling of, of the clock genes, like having the same patterns in all these different tissues, you can change that by acutely reversing the light-dark cycle or taking away the animal's food and only letting them eat when they should be resting. Um, so you can kind of uncouple those things. But what those signals are, the the prevailing, you know, kind of theory is that there's neuronal signaling and, and hormonal signaling that communicates the timing cues from the SCN out to the periphery. And I would say that is, you know, sort of the the paradigm for circadian biology field. But I, I think it's starting to change as more people get deeper into the study of these peripheral clocks. Mm -hmm. So for example, in the kidney, we think that there's, you know, some key hormones that are probably play a role in in regulating the kidney clock. Um, and, and in fact, one of the concepts we've come around to, I, I've always said, oh, we study the kidney clock. But within the kidney, there are so many different cell types. I mean, you have the nephron, which is the functional unit of the kidney. There's about a million nephrons in an adult human kidney, but those those nephrons, those tubular structures are surrounded by vasculature and interstitium. There's immune cells there. So it's a very heterogeneous tissue. And one of the things we're interested in, in knowing is if all of those individual cell types in the kidney do, do all of their clocks look the same? And we've done some experiments um, this work this work so far is is unpublished. We have a, a mouse model. It's called a Pertu luciferase mouse, and wow. it's a it's a reporter <laughs> mouse um, that was generated by Joe Takahashi's lab. Um, Sally Yu, I think, was the first author on that paper. They made this transgenic mouse where they took a luciferase reporter and basically expressed that as a fusion protein with the PER2 protein, which is one of the key clock genes. And so uh, when when they did this, you know, this transgenic mouse expresses the reporter in all in all the different cell types. So they could take out a piece of kidney tissue and a piece of liver tissue and a piece of lung, and they could put those tissues in a dish and uh, keep them in a, in a media that has the substrate for luciferase. 
and luciferase um, takes the substrate and produces light. And it's a, it's a bioluminescent signal. And they could follow these rhythms. After you take the tissue out of the mouse, put the tissue in a dish, these rhythms go on for at least a week. Wow. It's really, really fascinating. And so that original work was years ago. And um, before before I think I'd ever heard of circadian clock genes, maybe. Um, and now, But now we have these mice in the lab. And so one of the things we've done is um, dissected the kidney. And, and so far, what we've done is, is dissected it into the outer region, which is called the cortex. And then um, the medulla has an outer part and an inner part. And what we find when we put those um, into the, the luminometer, the lumi cycle is what it's called, is that the rhythms look a little different. And, and in fact, the inner medulla has really robust rhythms. And we, we suspect that might be because there are fewer cell types in that region of the kidney. Um, but all, all of that to say that we're really kind of in the infancy, I think, of, of understanding how these tissue clocks work. There, there has been work done that shows that some tissues are more or less sensitive to, say, light cues versus metabolic cues. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the kidney is highly metabolic, the liver, of course. And so if you reverse the feeding cycle for mice or rats, for example, the clock genes in the kidney and the liver show some more dramatic effects than other tissues, for example. This is fascinating stuff. I mean, it's just it's the deeper you get into it, the more you realize, just from a general perspective, how amazing the human body is. And I, I don't know, it's just, I took a, in my doctoral studies, I, I, for some reason, got crazy and said, oh, I'm going to take some biochem classes. Nice. And the level of organization was mind-blowing. And because I have a hard enough time organizing my desk. And, you know, your body is just amazingly designed. And it's just so, it, I don't know, it's just... It blows my mind when I get to talk to people like you doing research like this and to understand like where this could go with even therapeutics for, you know, opportunities to help shift workers. But if you were to kind of bring this whole conversation back, what would be your take home point for people that are busy folks working hard, but they really care about their health? Like what would be your take home advice for them to really pay attention to? Yeah, so I, I think it goes back to that idea of of in, entrainment cues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really comes back to the point you made about early morning light, that getting that early morning light exposure is a great way to entrain your internal circadian clocks with the idea that, you know, that the light signals go directly to the, the SCN. Um, but then through ways that we don't fully understand yet, those signals get transmitted to all of your, your peripheral clocks. So keeping, keeping that consistent schedule from, you know, the work week across to the, to the weekend, I think that is a great way for people to feel better. Um, and an example of that, the, one of the science teachers, when we did that middle school outreach project, um, she told me when we came back later to give them the survey results that she had changed her schedule around because mm -hmm. she had been doing that where she would stay up late Friday night because she could, you know, she knew she'd be able to sleep in the next day. And she'd end up taking a nap on Sunday afternoon. And then by Monday, 
you know, she felt pretty terrible. And after she heard our, our little presentation about circadian rhythms, she said she switched her schedule around. And so about two months later, you know, she came up to us and, and was just kind of raving about this new routine and how, how much better she felt. And that, that really stuck with me. And I tell that story to, you know, my friends and family who try to get me to stay up too late on the weekends. <laughs> You're like, no, I got to go to bed. <laughs> yes. They, they think I'm a party pooper, but I tell them I'm just trying to take care of my circadian rhythm. <laughs> Michelle, you and I are very similar. My, my family's always been like, man, you want to go to bed early, but you know what? I got three kids now. My wife and I, by nine o'clock, we're like, we're done. Yep. Uh, let's go to bed. And I just feel better. I'd rather get up and when I'm, when I'm consistent, um, which I'm trying to be like, just very consistent with that. But when I have a consistent routine, even on the weekends, getting up at six or six 30, I just feel so much better. And it makes so much sense. You don't have these, I think back to college and I would have these dramatically different sleep schedules. No wonder it was difficult to maintain a high level of energy. If people are more interested in learning about a circadian clock or learning about your research, where would you point them? So we have a new a new website for our department because our department of physiology we recently merged with the aging department. And so this is a new kind of area of research for us to think about circadian rhythms in, in aging. And so with along with our new department merger, we have a new department website. So at, at the at the UF website, um, searching for our department, I think you'd be able to come across some some I'll good resources. Yeah. And then for both. So I mentioned um, Dr. Esser, who is mm -hmm. now the chair of the Department of Physiology and Aging. She works on muscle clocks. She and I separately both recorded a little video through our institution's video service. And those are sort of geared towards a more general audience. So that that might be a fun thing to look at as well. Yeah, that's perfect. I will put all of this in the show notes for people to get access to. Thank you so much for the important work that you're doing. I really appreciate you coming on the blueprint. It has been phenomenal getting to pick your brain on what is such a fascinating subject. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It is really exciting. And I think as as I said, like we're really just at the beginning of figuring out what's going on in, in our peripheral tissues. So it's exciting. Hopefully more to come. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode and you're a longtime listener and you haven't left us a review in the Apple Podcast app, please stop what you're doing, leave us a comment review so that we can reach more people with the message of the Blueprint. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode.